0: welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning. My name is Rob Schoonover and I'm currently the Ministry Fellow here at North Decatur Presbyterian Church. I'm beginning my third and final year of seminary at Emory's Candler School of Theology, and I'm so excited to be preaching this morning. Now, asking Jesus a question probably had to be a tad frustrating. I had a teacher in high school who was known to give pretty long-winded answers to relatively simple questions like, what day is the test going to be? In many ways, Jesus is the same way. All the way back to the beginning of Matthew chapter 24, the disciples asked Jesus, tell us, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And now Jesus goes on to speak in rather apocalyptic language for the rest of the chapter before telling a trilogy of parables. And today's text is the last of these three parables and the last parable that Jesus will tell in the entire gospel of Matthew. Now, if you're a movie fan like me, you know that the third film of a trilogy is always the most difficult to watch or the most difficult to film. And from my understanding, directors and screenwriters have a hard time resolving all the complicated plot elements that they laid out in the first two stories and the narrative storylines of each character. However, in this case, our third parable concludes the trilogy quite well. I feel like I could say this confidently because it's a story that we never forget once we hear it. And it begins in chapter 25, verse 31, and concludes at verse 46. Now this is Jesus talking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those at his right, Come, you that are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. Just as you did it to one of the least of these who are the members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, you are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Um, So located about an hour east from us in Decatur is George's Jackson Lake. Um, And on George's Jackson Lake, you can find an island inhabited entirely by goats. And locals there have creatively named this island Goat Island. I'm not making this up. I've been there and witnessed it with my own eyes. And before recording this sermon, I spent about an hour trying to find information as to how this pack of goats arrived on this particular island. But alas, Goat Island's origins remain a mystery. But I will update you on my search. And given the topic of this week's text, I've thought quite a bit about Goat Island. I've wondered what sheep island would look like and my mind also wandered to the image of jesus on a pontoon boat rebuking the inhabitants of goat island of course today's text tempts us to creating our own image of sheep and goat islands we want to know that we're citizens of sheep island but at the end if we read the text honestly can we really know that So I want to invite you to grab your shepherd's cane or your favorite sheep or goat associated item and join me as we discover the odd world that this text inhabits. And so many know this passage as the parable of the sheep and the goats. Uh, Some tradition refer to this story as the judgment of the nations. Um, Of course, both are simply titles of a story added in by somebody later, but we all know from our seventh grade language arts class that titles give us a sense of the main idea. And with these two titles, we get helpful glimpses into what Jesus is talking about. Yes, we're on some level, we're talking about sheeps and goats. But on another level, we're talking about one of the most loaded words in our vocabulary. Judgment. And the judgment of the nation's title forces us to stare directly at our collective treatment of the poor and the marginalized. And as he was approaching the final days of his life, uh, the acclaimed children's television show host and the pastoral voice of a generation, Fred Rogers, asked from his hospital bed, Was I a sheep or a goat? He's, of course, referencing this passage that we read today. And Fred Rogers was afraid of the same thing that many of us are afraid of. Somewhere within us, we're all afraid of judgment. And this fear, It can reside in small things like how people think we drive or how we dress or what we order at a restaurant. Or it can reside in bigger things. Um, Maybe you grew up in a community that made God a judge of every single thing that you did. Or as recent events have made painfully obvious, maybe your skin color makes you the object of an aggressive neighbor or a police officer. In any situation, judgment haunts our human minds and reading this passage can bring those feelings up. Now on the surface it reads black and white, sheep and goat, good and evil, heaven and hell. But I want to bring up a few things about how this text sits in the wider Christian canon um, and, how it inter- and how we can relate it to those passages. Now lamb and goat language is not exclusive to this Matthew judgment parable. In fact, Um, Exodus 12, five lists goat as a sufficient element for the Paschal lamb should a sheep not be able to be provided. And in the elder brother's account, uh, and the the elder brother in Luke's account of the prodigal son makes a clear snide comment about goats when he says to his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I might go celebrate with my friends. Now, it's quite clear the elder brother in this story didn't think of himself as a goat. And I read this text, and I wonder if I'm guilty of not seeing my own goat-like tendencies as well. If you're at all like me, depending on the day you read this passage, it's a great way to make yourself feel really good or really bad about yourself. On days where we do all the right things, where we go to the gym, we donate to our charity, uh, we eat right, we do everything right, this text can make us feel really good. And we can look with favor at the morally virtuous things we've done, but eventually, if you're like me, the shine of that self-justification wears out rather quick. But I wanna point something out here, though. Neither the sheep or the goats realize what it is that they were doing. And I take this to mean that this text isn't asking us to think whether we're in or we're out. In other words, knowledge is not the strength of the sheep. Trust, action, and obedience is. The reality is that if we played a movie of our life history, we would find that we've all displayed goat behavior. We've ignored the cries of the oppressed, and we have believed the lie that Acquiring the most things can lead to eternal happiness. But we've also displayed sheep behavior. We've cared for those who are in pain and we've loved for those who have need to be loved, who have needed to be loved. And as I've sat with this passage, I really just don't think that this is a text about more moral do-getting. I don't think that the grace of Jesus is some kind of pyramid scheme where we're drawn in with the false promise of unconditional acceptance only to find out that we've signed up for more moralism. And it's very easy to read this passage in a vacuum and dismiss goats as people weighted down by sins of omission and sheep as the extra virtuous among us. I think ultimately this is a parable about trust and response. When we felt the unconditional love and acceptance of the divine, how did we respond? Did we bury our treasure of love in our backyard only to go and find it when we need it? Or did we reject that lie of moral scarcity and share our love with our neighbors both near and far away? I don't think any of the people that we hold up as moral titans acted out of some fear of being cast out. Their acts were acts of response to an injustice and the belief that our world can be more than what it is. True marks of grace, then, are not conscious responses from fear. The real works of grace come from the unconscious act when we act out of an organic response. So according to this parable, it's hard to know whether what we're doing is sheepish or goatish. It leaves us as the reader in an uncertain position. But there is one group of people that can be certain of their position, and you might've picked up on this. There's a third group in this story, and that is the person of the stranger the naked, the imprisoned, and the sick. If you find yourself or have ever found yourself among this group, Jesus has chosen to identify with you. And for those of us who aren't among that group, those of us where life has been a bit easier, this message hits different. The recent moral atrocities of police brutality and a global pandemic have made plain and obvious many of the power dynamics that we scrolled through and ignored for centuries. And on a weekend where we're supposed to celebrate the United States, many Americans are waking up to the fact that the United States is not the sheep island that we've made it out to be. Likewise, Jesus spent a good amount of time trying to convince those in privileged positions in his world that the world they were building wasn't working for the oppressed. The message from this parable is that those who are looked down upon and ignored by political officials and religious elites are the ones that Christ identifies with. So to be kingdom-like then is to participate in that radical inclusion of the marginalized. We're supposed to be uncomfortable when we read this parable, but I also think this story serves as Jesus's final story to show us that the oppressed are God's beloved. If we want to know where we can find God in this world, we can look there. So as I close, I'm not a good poker player, so I'm gonna lay my hands out on the table. I don't want you to hear this as a message of moral quotas, of some kind of amount of moralism goals to meet this week. The more time you spend with me, the more you realize I don't like to give out unsolicited advice. What I want you to hear is that God has called you close and that drawing in compels us to love Brothers and sisters, our God is a God of promise, not of formulas. A God of freedom, and freedom ought to bring about more freedom. Amen.